Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we get into your word this morning, uh, we're going to get into brokenness. And Lord, we all know the difficulties and the stress and the struggle of the times in our life when we just walk away from you and literally walk into the traps of life, the temptations of life. And Lord, then we begin to experience the consequences of really bad decisions. So Lord, I just pray that you'll be with me. I pray that we'll get deep into your word and realize the power of your word through the life of King David. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. John Maxwell said this, The problem of people's past affects them in one of two ways. They either experience breakdown or a breakthrough. And that's true. Uh, when we go through a crisis in life, we're going to come out of that crisis in one or two ways. Either it's going to break us down and we get weaker, or it's a breakthrough. And you know when the breakthrough comes through? It's when we lean into God. It's when we realize we didn't get through that stress and that crisis, that it was God's spirit that brought us through that. And I got to tell you, we're going to get into a very difficult, difficult story. As you get into it this week in the good book, page 129 is going to start that story. And uh, we're going to get into the life of David. Let me tell you, it does have a, believe it or not, I wouldn't call it a happy ending, but it's a good ending. And it's the story of a comeback. Now, I don't know about you. I love comebacks, okay? I grew up playing sports and following all kinds of things. And I love comebacks. And when I thought about comebacks, I thought about a guy on our staff at Sherwood Oaks, and his name is Jeremy Earl. Now, Jeremy works with our college students and has just done an outstanding job with our young people and college students for years. And for the most part, Jeremy's kind of a reserved guy. Uh, and that's one of the things I, I really appreciate about Jeremy is the depth of Jeremy. But he shared this story with me uh, to share this. He was in 2002, some of you remember this, he was visiting his in-laws, and Indiana was in the tournament, and they played a little school called Duke. Maybe you've heard of them, okay? Duke was ranked number one in the nation. Bobby Knight was not on the sidelines, if you remember that. Uh, Mr. Davis was the coach, so nobody in their right mind had thought Indiana had a chance. It was the late game, which meant everybody went to bed except Jeremy. And if you remember, they got down by 17, they came back, and they won that game. And Jeremy said, I was so hopped up, but nobody cared. So he was way out in the cornfields of Illinois, which is 90% of Illinois, okay, and he ran out into this cornfield and just let out a scream, yeah! Now, if you know Jeremy, that is pretty cool. And what Jeremy was unleashing is what all of us love to unleash. We love comebacks. All of us, if we're serious, we love not just sports comebacks. We love it when we see people come back. Now, I want you to think about people in your life who've made really bad decisions, and then they begin to turn it around, and they start making good decisions. And you begin to see them get their lives right with God. And you're like, wow, God is all about comebacks. So keep that in mind as we follow a heartbreaking path. And that is the path that David chooses. Now, let me give you an example of the most powerful comeback. Sports Illustrated in the late 1990s. And you can just see a bunch of guys sitting around brainstorming on this. Comebacks the top 10 comebacks of the human race. And I'm not going to read all 10, but here are the top three. Number three, humanity surviving the Black Plague. Number two, Germany and Japan with their industrial resurgence after World War II. 
their number one, number one comeback of all time, Jesus Christ and the resurrection. That was Sports Illustrated. Who said jocks aren't sharp? Okay, you know, that's, that's pretty good stuff right there. All right, if you love, um, like, to take every word of a point, of a sermon points, the same letter, I don't like doing that, but we're going to do that today. Is everybody cool with that? You don't care. Okay, number one. Okay, if you're over at 2 Samuel 11.1, 1, here's what you need to understand. Here's the very first path of what I would call the destruction of David. And the first step is curiosity. In 2 Samuel 11.1, 1, I want you to follow. It just says, in the spring at the time when the kings go off to war. doesn't sound like a big deal. Except David is a warrior. He's at his best when he is fighting for God. And scholars estimate that David was somewhere between 50 and 55 years old. That's kind of scary. And his, he did nothing wrong other than he was bored. Now, I got to be honest. When we're bored, if we're not careful, we get curious, and that's when we get in trouble. How many of you remember that in junior high? Anyone? Making really great decisions out of boredom, you know. And here's a good example of your board. I know none of you do this. Have you ever opened the refrigerator for no reason whatsoever? You're not hungry, and you just stare into it, like for an hour. Like you're just staring, like something's going to happen. Well, why? Because you're bored. Or you get a remote. Guys are terrible. They'll get a remote, and they'll just channel surf for like an hour. And, and then you land on, oh, there's a documentary on how Disney made the movie Heidi. That looks nice. You know, you just, you're going to watch something. You know you don't want to watch it. What? You're bored. You're absolutely bored. Now, what happens is out of that boredom, you get curious. And curiosity, once again, that's not a bad thing. Curiosity leads to inventions, new discoveries, and business. We know all about research, development, innovation. But curiosity out of boredom can also set us up for temptations. Temptations are absolutely a part of everyday life. Matter of fact, I want you to write this quote down because it's uh, all week I've thought about this. Temptation usually comes in through a door that has deliberately been left open. Temptation usually comes in through a door that has deliberately been left open. In other words, we know in our lives the things that can get us in trouble. And so we may just leave that door barely open because we know eventually we're going to make our way to that door. And when you're bored... And when you get into the area of curiosity, temptation sets in. C.S. Lewis said this, Only those who resist temptation know how strong it is. James 1, 13 through 15, one of the most convicting scriptures on temptation, tells us that temptation entices us and then drags us away. And here's the thing about temptation. It's individually wrapped and specialized for every person. You all know that, don't you? That you're going to be bombarded and tempted when you're bored, when you get curious, and the temptations are going to come specifically gift wrapped for you. I had a buddy in Bible college, and um, we got talking about temptations, you know, what both of us struggle with. <clears throat> he said, uh, so Robertson, what's your temptation? And I said, um, it's got to be women. Says, it's, yeah, yeah, it is women. You know, that's just, it's, it's, it's a battle. It's every day. And I said, how about you? What's your, what's your battle? Beer. Lots of beer. You know, I, I, I love beer. You know, he said, I, I mow the yard. I said, you see, I mow the yard, and I think about women, 
you think about beer. I mean, isn't that weird? And we're sitting there talking back and forth, and he said, you know, going into ministry, this is going to be hard. I go, it is going to be hard. And all of us in this room face temptations. Not in a season. It's every day we face these temptations. That scripture in James, the, the Greek word that he uses there, that you'll be enticed, is exact phrasing of uh, what, a, what you do when you fish. In other words, you use certain baits to catch certain fish. And that what a temptation is, is it's a certain bait that catches you. And all of us have things in our life to be careful of. And David went straight from being curious to carnality. Now I want you to follow with me in verse 2. One evening David got up from his bed. He walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof he saw a woman bathing. And she was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, isn't that Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam? Now, let me pause there. You know who Eliam is? That's one of his mighty men. So this is a loyal friend. And when it says mighty men in Scripture, these are the men that every day were willing to die for David. So that ran deep, okay? David sent the messenger back to get her. She came to him. And he slept with her. And then she purified herself from all uncleanliness, and then she went back home. David definitely used his power at that moment to get what he wanted. Now, carnality. We don't even use that word hardly today. But let me just share what it means. In the Greek dictionary, it means uh, to have the nature and the characteristic of the flesh. But in the free dictionary online, it says it relates to the physical appetite, especially sexual appetite. Isn't it interesting, the location of David's palace? Did you see where it was? Way up on the mountain, so that he could look down. And do you really think that that was totally random, that he just strolled out on the roof to catch a beautiful sunset? This is just speculation. I don't think that's the first time he saw Bathsheba. I think he knew good and well what was going on. And I think he also, in his mind, said, hey, I'm the king. I'm entitled to whatever I want. You know what that is? That's 100% living in the flesh. That's carnality. Carnality is simply saying what I want, I want, and I'm just going to follow the lead physically what I want. How's that end when we pursue things in that way? 1 John 2, 6 says this, For everything in this world, the craving of the sinful man, the lust of the eyes, and the boasting of what has been done, comes not from the Father, but from the world. Isn't it interesting that, and Steve is with us this morning, Steve Connor, and I remember him sharing this, that Samson, the strongest man in the world, Solomon, the wisest man, and David, a man after God's own heart, all struggle with the same temptation. That's not a coincidence. It's a battle, and it's a battle that we need to face every day. Now, this happened a few years ago, uh, but it was a great example of not just men, I think people in general, of this battle of lust, of the flesh. Uh, we had a Bible study out, out at this guy's farm out in Illinois. Beautiful, he had a beautiful farm, that, a house that he'd built in uh, rolling hill. I mean, it's a beautiful location. He had just put up a huge invisible fence around this area, and he had this beautiful dog, okay? So somehow, we got talking about battles that men face, and he said, boy, he goes, I got to tell you something. I witnessed in the last two days 
a great example of the battle that men face. And I said, really? Just tell me what you, you experienced. He said, well, it's my dog. He said, he's a beautiful dog. He does everything I tell him to do. He had this electric fence, and he said, I watched him literally go up, put his nose out to the electric fence, get shocked, run back to me, and I'm like, we are never going to have a problem with this until the neighbor's dog went in heat. He said, then the next day I'm watching my dog, and about 20 feet from the electric fence, he's staring at the fence. And all of a sudden, you just see him kind of loosen up, and he just takes off as fast as he can, hits that fence, flips him, and runs towards the neighbor's dog. I said, you've just described most men that I know right there. Now, they're probably going to have to cut that, you know, but seriously, I want you to think about that's exactly the picture you need to see. That is carnality. It's when it's like, whatever the consequences are, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. Some of you have been there. Some of you may be battling right now. Proverbs 12, this is powerful. Proverbs 12, 11 says, He who works the land will have abundant food, but he who chases fantasies lacks judgment. Did you catch that word? Fantasies. Here's what's not just creeped into our world. Uh, it is invading our world in a powerful rate. Pornography is 12% of the total Internet. 70% of men ages 18 to 34 visit at least once a month a pornography site. 10 to $14 billion are spent annually in the United States alone on pornography. To put that in comparison, that's what our government spends on all foreign aid. 50% of pastors surveyed are battling with pornography. So why would I even share that? Because the church needs to wake up. They need to say, this battle, this is real. Remember what I said before about temptation? It's usually coming through a door that has been deliberately opened. That's why Scripture is so powerful when it says, confess your sins to God, confess, confess your sins one to another. Have somebody in your life, somebody that you can trust, that you can share the battle. Don't wait until you end up to a point that your life is nearly destroyed because you never dealt with it. And then we see David's life completely start to unravel. Now, at this point, David could have done something about it, but he didn't. You know the story. Bathsheba comes to him, and she's pregnant. And David could have come clean at that very moment. But instead, what did he do? Well, two words, cover up. I'm going to find a way to cover this up. And uh, so from 1969 to currently, i got to tell you, I've heard this word cover up a lot. And you have too. Words like Chappaquiddick, Watergate, James Baker, Jimmy Swigert, the Iran-Contra affair, Bill and Monica, the Ponzi scheme. And I could go on and on and on. We see it and hear it in the news all the time. Cover up. As opposed to just coming clean. Now, i got to tell you, uh, one of the things that Marie and I have enjoyed over the years is uh, we'll get to counsel sometimes with uh, couples when they're engaged. And aren't they about goofy? You know, and they give you that look like, oh, you know. And I'm more like, so have you worked out a budget? Oh, no, you know. We have love. Yeah, whatever, you know. And, and so here's my words of wisdom. And I usually say it to the guy. I said, I'm going to share with you three words that will transform your relationship and keep it strong. And they'll always say, no, no, no. I already know what the, the words are. I 
love you. Not even close. No, here they are. I was wrong. Can I have an amen on that one? Yeah, I was wrong. And let me tell you, that may sound simple. It's not simple at all. We need to know in life that there's nothing more important than just saying to God first, God, I was wrong for what I did. To go to the person you've wronged and say, I was wrong. It's hard because it's completely pulling yourself out of the flesh and it's leaning into God's spirit. David made some terrible decisions because he didn't say he was wrong. Matter of fact, you know the story, but let me remind you what he did is he, um, he put a plot together. and He thought, if I can bring her husband Uriah home and allow him to go sleep with his wife, this is all taken care of. Do you remember what Uriah did? He came back, and a messenger came to David and said, crazy, crazy thing happened. He didn't go home. David said, where'd he go? He slept on your front porch. And I asked him, why, why did you do that? You know what he said? How could I possibly go home to my wife when my brothers are dying out there, sleeping out there? I am loyal to the king. Once again, David could have leaned back and go, oh, that's what character looks like. That's what loyalty looks like. He should have called him right then and said, hey, Uriah, terrible things happen. But he didn't do that. You know what he did? He intentionally put him unprotected on the front lines, which is a king's way of saying he murdered that guy. See how the cover-up now is just getting deeper and deeper and deeper. It always does. There's a wonderful song out. I encourage you to download it, uh, and it's a song called Chain Breaker by Zach Willis. And if you haven't downloaded it, please do. It's such an encouraging song. I've been listening to it the last few weeks. But it's like when Christ can break whatever thing you're dealing with. Now, let me tell you what happened right after that, and you know this. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, it's the story of David who was crushed now, crushed. David was just doing everything he could after the cover-up to forget about it. And he thought everybody else had forgot about it. He was just ready to move on. But isn't it interesting, that's not how God works. Last week we talked about all of us have the freedom to make choices. Every human being has the freedom to make choices. But you do not have what? You do not have control over the consequences of your choices. You don't. See, David didn't realize you've already put this thing in motion and you think you're going to control the consequences. No way. It's not how it works. Nathan knew this one thing when he approached David. This is a very complicated human being. So I can't just burst in the doors and say, hey, David, God is going to take you down. He instead led David so David could understand with his mind, but also understand with his heart. Because you got to understand, David is a warrior, but he also is a poet. I mean, think about it. He wrote Psalms 23, Psalms 121, Psalms 50. These are just Psalms of the heart. He also is a king, but he's a loyal friend. These, these mighty men I talked about, man, they were, seriously, they weren't just underneath David. They felt like David is my friend. So here's a king and a loyal friend. And here's where it really gets interesting. He is a broken man, and yet what does the Bible say? He has the heart of God. Now think about it. That's a complicated guy. So here's what Nathan does. He thought, I'm going to not just go to his head. I'm going to go through his heart. So I'm going to tell him a story. He said, hey, David, interesting story. 
There's this guy, he is, I mean, this guy's so poor. He really only owns one thing. He has his family, he has this little bitty lamb. That lamb actually is almost like a pet. And he went to visit a very wealthy man. Now, the wealthy man realized how poor he was, and he wanted to have a meal for him. And you know what he did? He killed that lamb for the meal. Think about it. He killed the lamb. David was outraged. He said, that man should be killed. And at minimum, if you don't kill him, he should pay that man with no money at least four times what he just did to that guy. You may remember what Nathan said in verse 8. You are that man. And then it hit David. Wow. I thought this was secret. And now it's in the open. How many times have you seen that? That where we get crushed is now it goes public. And it just, it just, there's a ripple effect of all the lives that it just devastates. The wake of that is sometimes beyond comprehension. We need to understand that if you love music, I love all kinds of music. Some of the greatest music comes out of people whose heart has been completely shattered. I love the song Fire and Rain by James Taylor. Tears in Heaven uh, from Eric Clapton, whose son died tragically. Achy Breaky Heart by Billy Ray Cyrus. I mean, come on. That just doesn't get any deeper than that. I mean, think about it. We know that. We know that when we listen to music and there's a story in there, you're like, boy, somebody really got their heart broken. Now you know when you read Psalms 51, this is a guy that had his heart broken. This is a guy that realized how far and how miserable it is when you walk away from God. But God loves comebacks. So we're going to show you a two-part story this week, and then you'll have to come back next week to see the rest of this. It's a young man. His name is Nick Sexton, and Nick played... Uh, uh, locally, was a high school uh, star, and then he went on to play at IU, but uh, his life began to unravel, and uh, God believes in comebacks, and you're going to see what God does with this young man, and uh, I want you to see that at this time. I was born in Bloomington, Indiana. I went to, went to elementary school at Arlington Elementary, went to Tri-North, went to Bloomington North, just kind of normal hometown kid, and just... Uh, always felt like I kind of had it together, stayed away from the party scene. Didn't really feel like I had much of a wild side. I mean, I stayed low-key. I played sports, football, and basketball. And I had the opportunity to go on and play at IU. They offered me a scholarship, and I was just on top of the world. Chance to play in front of my hometown, in front of family. Very quickly, that dream was kind of shattered. I tore my ACL about a week into fall practice. From that point on, it was just kind of a roller coaster, ups and downs. I just had kind of a battle with pain medicine early on in, in my career there at IU. I was able to live out playing football and kind of overcame the injuries, but still taking pain medicine the whole time. And I was pretty good at hiding it. I mean, I don't think very many people knew. Soon after I graduated, I wasn't able to get pain medicine easy, as easy. So I, uh, I started forging prescriptions got into some trouble over that. I was arrested and I had to do some community service and things like that. And, and thank God that it was all wiped clean from my record and I could, and I could go on and, and have a career and things like that. I just met my wife when that happened. I just started working at Cook when that happened. I thought maybe that would be enough to scare me, you know, the, the, the chance of losing my wife, the chance of losing my job. 
but it didn't, you know, I mean, I went a couple days without it and then reality set in, you gotta have this to get out of bed again. Things got really bad and, and we had our first daughter. One evening, we just got in this blowout fight. She found out that I was still taking the medication behind her back. Honestly, didn't think that I would see her or Emerson anymore. And uh, I got in my truck and I took off driving and drove as fast as I could and jerked the wheel. I was done. And thank God it didn't kill me, it should have. Because I really, in all actuality, wanted to be dead at that point, you know? I, I mean, I almost orphaned my wife and daughter and it didn't even phase me. I continued in the same behavior and same habit of, of taking the pills as I always had. Nick and his uh, family were here today, and uh, you may remember this, some of you that were here, but uh, Wheeler Rescue Mission brought 50 or 60 of the guys here, and uh, Nick had only been in the program, it's a nine-month program, he'd only been in the program about two, three weeks, and at that point, really hardly anybody knew. And so of all the churches, they said, we're going to visit a Bloomington church. So imagine, he, does, he stands out by, well, he's 6'7", so you, you see him. And I still remember Marie, my wife, said, Nick, that's so, it's so good to have you here today. Are you helping out with Wheeler Rescue Mission? And he paused and he said, no, I'm in the program. And to see how God is using him now, uh, you'll see this next week to see how it's restored his relationship with his parents and his wife and his two little girls. Uh, God loves comebacks. If you turn over to Psalms 51, I want to just close with this. You know David's heart. You realize if you were to go through that psalm that it affects every part of a being when you're separated from God. Matter of fact, in verse 3, it said it affected his mind. Verses 6 through 8, it affected his bones. He said, I was crushed. Verses 9 and 10, it affected his heart and his spirit. Verse 14, it affected his hands. Verse 15, it affected his lips, his words. He said, everything, everything was affected when I was not right with God. Everything was affected. Some of you here today, this may be where you're at. You're saying, God, I have, I've wandered so far away from you. And so this verse, verse 8, it says, my bones felt crushed. That's a good description of what you're feeling, is I just feel crushed. But then look at verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Let's read that together. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me.